And now, the Doc and Carolyn Podcast Theater presents a soap opera series, The Second Floor. The Commander Zone meeting is now in order. Everybody settle down. Welcome our distinguished guest, Mayor Unfab Labtab, and community activator, Really Roly. We have two new commanders in the room, Commander Double Aaron and Captain Moe. Commander Double Aaron, I hear there's an issue. Well, thank you, Chief. I do have an issue. I walked into this building this very morning, walked past several that are beneath me and was not given the proper salute. This shall not happen again. I recorded a message that shall be played over the radio every five minutes for the next 15 years. Every five minutes for 15 years. That seems a bit excessive, but let's hear it. Commander Double Aaron is very upset. So heads are going to roll. This you can bet when this commander arrived. I got no salute. Not even any music from a flute of kazoo. Put him in handcuffs now. The Doc and Carolyn Podcast. Look at you. Came back for episode two of the Doc and Carolyn Podcast. Hey, what's up? This is Doc Kilgore. I'm not a real doctor, but I play one on this show. I'm Carolyn Kilgore, and I am a real nurse practitioner doing postgraduate work in functional and integrative medicine. In this episode, we will conclude the very popular Everyday People segment, With Clay Campbell, and on our Facebook report, 50 people are having December birthdays? I counted 50. Happy birthday to all y'all, but we can't get to all 50, So, but we also cannot exclude the person you gave birth to. Correct. Happy birthday, Ashley Martin. And among our Facebook friends, we found one profile with a rabid dog as a profile picture. That is not a rabid dog. It is a raccoon wearing a crown. I stand corrected. (laughs) Happy birthday. It's a Kraken. Happy birthday. Is this your friend? I don't know who it is. I don't either. Did you you friended them though? I think maybe one of us friended them when they were using their real name and maybe they changed their name somewhere along the way. Now it's time for MP School. Since it's cold and flu season, we're going to talk about why you do not need an antibacterial for your cold or the flu. I have a stuffy nose, a little bit of a temperature. I walk into your office and say, give me my Z-Pack. And I'm going to say no. Okay, let's let's go back to the beginning. What is bacteria? Bacteria is a one-cell organism that lives in a lot of different environments, including on your skin and your nose and your gut, and a lot of it keeps you healthy. Okay, I'm in front of you. I have a bacterial problem. What kind of issues typically do you see? Um, If you're in front of me, you may have strep, a urinary tract infection. Bronchitis can be bacterial or viral. Okay, what's a virus then? A virus is a piece of DNA or RNA wrapped in protein, and it needs a host to be able to survive and replicate. And you are sometimes the host. Okay, I'm in front of you. I have a viral problem. What typically shows up then? Flu, COVID, common cold. And no Z-Pack for me. No Z-Pack for you. I know you are raring to do a segment on antibiotics. What is that all about? The problem with taking them when you don't need them is two thirds of your immune system is in your gut. And when you take an antibiotic, it makes the microbiome in your gut imbalanced and that impacts your immune system. I just want to educate people on why you should not, when your healthcare provider tells you you have a virus, why you should not hound them into giving you an antibiotic because it is not good for your health. 
So this is fun. We learned that we can't use everyday people, the actual song as sung by Sly and the Family Stone, because there's a little thing called copyright laws. We'll invite anybody that can play an instrument or sing to do the opening to the everyday people segment. You know, just every whatever instrument you play or if you sing or whatever, we'd be glad to, to, to have your help and to include you in the show. In the meantime, this is part two of the interview with Clay Campbell on our segment called Everyday People. I'll never forget uh, a guy named J.J. Brown came on the radio. J.J. since gone on to be Secret Service. Uh, he was Barbara Bush's top guy, uh, great, great human being, great officer. Uh, he got on the radio and he said, shots fired, officer down. Mm-hmm. So I immediately realized if you and I go the wrong way up the feeder and there was nobody coming. So as we pull up, uh, J.J. is kneeling on the ground next to Paul um, and, and uh, Paul's on the ground and I just remember his entire face being a sheet of bright red blood. Yeah. All I could see was his eyes and his teeth. And he's bleeding all throughout his chest and everything. There was a, a little uh, duplex there. I don't know if you remember. It was about four or five little single-story buildings that at some point had formed a, a courtyard in the middle of them. And half of them had been torn down. And they were just abandoned. We'd been told there were some guys selling dope out of there. Because mm-hmm. you had to get to it on foot. You could see you know, cops coming from a distance. And so everybody was... It was an effective area to do what they were doing. Yeah. So they were just going to check it out. A guy steps around the corner with a sawed-off shotgun and just shot immediately. A couple of things saved Paul's life that night. I don't know if you remember, but the wad from the shotgun shell was actually in his neck. It looked like a fist-sized clump. What saved Paul's life is a guy had... The shotgun was sawed off, which I guess is great for movies. Dispersed but it, yeah. Yeah, it dispersed it quick. And the other mm-hmm. thing is he didn't have double-up buck. He had birdshot. Mm-hmm. So those pellets hit Paul from his scalp to his knees. Of course, I'm immediately conscious of we're the first people here. And this has happened seconds ago. This guy's still here. I go into default aggressive mode. Hmm. I can't wait here. Because the guy's not in custody. No, yeah, he's, you know, all I know from JJ is he described him and he said he's, he ran that way. He's, he's in that courtyard, I think. And so from my perspective, the best thing I can do is, is aggress and, and, and push that threat envelope further away. I can't let us sit here in a clump. And if he wants to reload and take another shot, so sure. I'm pressing him or if there were other or yeah, and multiple people, I sure. need, I need to get to the corner of that courtyard. I need to have a tactical position where I can observe it until I get help and we can start clearing these buildings, but I need to be able to hold this position. So quite naively. And it's one of the reasons I, I sing uh, JJ's, you know, praises. Um, naively, I felt like I wanted to keep you close to me because I, I, I was responsible for your safety. And so I said, come on, stay close, stay right with me. And JJ, I don't know if that's what you were referring I, to, but JJ stopped me. And he goes, Clay, nobody knows Ken. And I realized we've got an officer down, shots fired, and we're going to have 50 people here real quick. Still still thankful to JJ for that moment. And the great end to that story, uh, Paul completely recovered, went back on the job, and the shooter was found by a canine, arrested, convicted, and went to jail. So tell me about the exciting things you're doing now. Yeah, so just brief history. In the early 90s, Axon was the first taser on the market. So you could imagine these things proliferated throughout the country. All these agencies had them. Relationships were built. Rolodexes were built, right? Everybody knew. And then, you know, the hands up, don't shoot incident comes along and suddenly body cameras become a hyper compelling topic. Mm -hmm. And not only had they been working on it and, and already developed something, but it was readily available. And it's a matter of, you know, you could see it from a a city government perspective, a law enforcement perspective. We're using a product and this is working. 
And now you have this other thing. They're, they're, okay. they're the largest in that space. When we first got the in-car cams, it wasn't two or three days. Did a traffic stop, ran the driver. He had a burglary warrant. Went to get him out of the car to put him in cuffs, me and my partner. And uh, he takes a swing. We got him on the ground. He's fighting us. We were getting him under control. It became an assistance, you know, so a bunch of cops showed up. And we got this guy in custody. And uh, as the bosses show up and begin to do interviews uh, about what happened, a guy came out of the shadows and said, I saw the whole thing. Oh, yeah. They threw him down for no reason and started stomping on him. I saw it. We had in-car cams and they went and looked at it and saw what happened that I got the guy out of the front seat and he threw an elbow and then the fight was on. I love body cams. As a police officer, me personally, I felt that we should be held accountable. It's an enormous amount of responsibility. Yeah, I agree. I I handled my career the same way. My street time before I went and did dope work was, was before those cameras. In hindsight, a body camera would have been a blessing. So Axon had been around for a long time and I I thought about the in-car cams, but now we're working with body cams. So how did you get into the business where uh, you went with a competing company? How did that happen? Yeah. So interestingly enough, after I retired, a buddy of mine asked me if I was interested in going into sales Mm -hmm. and I wasn't. Like not at all. Mm-hmm. I just pictured a guy dragging, you know, dictionaries door to door being told no, right? Like, yeah. no, no, not me. Sure. And I had to believe and be passionate about it, right? So um, he explained that it wasn't that and I gave it a shot. I thought, okay, let me get into it. And it was fluid power, pneumatics and hydraulic type stuff. And I just was never happy. I mean, I had companies, we were a distributor. I was recruited by companies and recruited to, as I gained a level of subject matter expert in certain components, was recruited away from company A to B to C. I remember you explaining to me what fracking was before it was- Yeah, there you, you know, go, right? So, and it was all new to me too. Uh-huh. So I had to learn all of that, but probably still today don't care much about it. Yeah. And so um, my beautiful bride, um, you know, she's been my helpmate and more, that, that's just, you know, I can't even describe her, so I won't try how much I love her. But uh, I went to her and I said, I'm just miserable. And so she was trying to figure out how do you, how do you marry the law enforcement piece? Cause I couldn't do that anymore. And my, uh, and maybe what I'd learned in sales, I said, I don't know. I don't know if I can, you know, what's out there to do. And she said, we can go pick apples and sell apples on the side of the road. You have to be happy. Right. I began looking, trying to find technology that bled into police work. And again, not really familiar with body cameras or anything else. And, and I find this marriage of body cameras and I went, oh, okay, wow, I've got a technical background. I can build computers and little light programming. This is interesting. And so I started looking through their, their people that were uh, associated with that company on LinkedIn. They also had a thing called Officer Down. So if you go into a prone position, the body camera starts recording if you don't stop this countdown. So if you're injured, you're hurt, you're laying on the ground. Not can't, only and does can't it, get on the radio. Can't get on the radio. Not only does it start the recording, everybody knows in your area that you're down. So so all the officers in the field would be notified as, as well as the comm center. That's right. So dispatch would get something on their computer. But if I'm, if you and I are working a beat together and you're down, my body camera audibly says body worn down Ken Kilgore. Like I know that. Yeah. Right. And it was just instantly uh, just a wave of, oh my God. So you see this, but, but you don't (laughs) go through a traditional method of, of, of reaching out to them. You go ahead and tell the story. So I look at the people associated with the company and I find a guy who's a lot of, a lot of the guys that work for the company are former law enforcement. So I see this guy. And I just sent him a message over LinkedIn. I'd love to steal some time if I could so that we could talk and I'd learn a little bit from you. I'm a retired Houston officer. 
you know, the idea was I kept running into walls. You know, when you think about going to get to work for a company and you type in recruiter, you're thinking what? Headhunter, right? Sure. You type in law enforcement sales recruiter and Google ignores the word sales. And here's all these agencies that need people to go to work. Right. So anyway, this guy comes back within that day and says, we can absolutely talk tomorrow, anything for a fellow Houston officer. Well, I noticed this guy was in Indiana and his LinkedIn and shame on me. I only read 89% of it. You missed the part about him being a former (laughs) HPD. He started his career here. Oh, wow. Um, and so we got on the phone and I just expressed to him, I didn't, I didn't want a job with him. It was just more of, I'm trying to get into this. Here's a little bit of my background and, and I'm trying to get into technology and maybe a technological sale component. Mm-hmm. How did you transition from law enforcement to that? Again, that's a 20, 30 minute conversation of just introductions and how those things go. And at the, by the time it was over, he said, you know, I'm the, I'm the sales manager for this part of the country. And quite honestly, we're not hiring, but I'd like to you just to not do anything. Don't talk to anybody. And give me a chance to see if we can make a position for you. I think you'd be a great fit here. <laughs> you told you know, I know this story, but it's, it's, I, it just gives me chills. It's amazing that the Lord would open up a door like that and you would find your way through it just on a phone call. That's well, yeah. You know, and the difference is when it, you think about going to a door, you got to find the door first. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know again, maybe, maybe for a later time, but, but within the last three months, We've saved an officer's life with this technology. Can you, can you share that story? I can, yeah. So I'll obviously keep some names out and, sure. and, and the agency name's not sure. that relevant, but sure. major agency in the country uh, had gotten our technology and used it. There's a bunch of different things. It's not just a camera. It's the back end, the data sharing, the lot of different things that, that come to bear with the technology. But one of their deputies was out on a uh, just traffic stop. He had been running traffic that evening, in, engaged two guys in a vehicle, and uh, had gone around the back of the vehicle to open the rear door looking for what the driver said was his identification in a bag there. And as soon as he opened the back door, uh, the guy had the driver reach between the seats and fired twice. Both times hit him in, in his torso above his vest. So he immediately goes down. Of course, he's called out on traffic, so they know he's on traffic, but he goes down. And within 15 seconds, the system is telling everybody he's down. And uh, and the guy speeds off. There's two guys in the vehicle. I'm told on the camera, on, on, the, on the evidence, that at some point you can see people driving by and, and using their personal cell phones to film him on the ground. Instead grounds. of helping. No, they're not, not, call, they're not calling this right. in. They're not getting out of their car and they're just rendering aid. on the phone. That's right. Mm. He goes down. My understanding is, in, in medical terms, he coded there at the scene. They were able to resuscitate him. Um, uh, he's alive and well and rehabbing today. So let's go back to that ripple analogy we talked about earlier, right? Your 16-year-old guy, his fingerprints are on my life, mm-hmm. right? Us being able to capture, you know this and the audience that you have that are law enforcement will appreciate this, that um, it's one thing to say, this guy just shot a cop and he's driving down the road. We want to We want to get his ID so we can catch him. The reality is, Every single person in law enforcement is in grave danger because they may very innocently interact with him for something they perceive is, is a, you know, use the word routine. We, we, we chuckle at the word routine, but sure. a routine interaction. Hey, you're trapped. Your, your taillights out, you, you know, anything. And this guy inside that vehicle is thinking, is thinking, you know, they're coming to get me. Right. So for every minute, you don't have clarity on who you're looking for. Everybody's on a tightrope without a net. And so uh, I was told by a, a person high up in this specific agency that it, within about, uh, I think it was thir- uh, 13 minutes from the time this all initially happened and they got the alert, they were able to stop that camera and remotely from a command center 
watch that cam- that video while that camera was still laying on the ground with him, take screenshots from that video and use facial recognition to identify the shooter and his passenger while you, you still have paramedics on the scene. This, they're still cutting uniform off and, and we already know who we're looking for. We've already got a statewide blue alert in Texas for this guy. That has to be incredibly fulfilling. Yeah, brother. I mean, it's compelling. I mean, I, I, you know, to tie to the story I just told you, when I first, when I hung up with the guy who said he wanted me to come to work for the company, I was helping her make one of the beds in the house and I was being prayerful and thoughtful about something. I got a little emotional and she looked over, she said, what's wrong, baby? You okay? And I said, we're going to go to a barbecue one day and be invited to go celebrate an officer's homecoming, his survival by what what we're doing. Risky as the job is, we're going to have an opportunity to look someone in the face who our fingerprints were on them. We, we, we were holding their hand virtually, right? Uh, and, got, and getting them home. And it, and it moved me. It's and amazing so, that you got that and you communicated that to me as well at the time. It's remarkable. God's trusting us to bless other people. I just think you have an amazing story. It's certainly important to me and Carolyn's life. And uh, thank you for being a guest on the show. Yeah, brother. Look, as many times as we've talked, I wish I could go back and we'd have been recording it all. There's so much. It's just cool to be able to memorialize it and, uh, you know, be able to go back and listen to it. Amen, brother. Thank you. The Doc and Carolyn podcast is for entertainment purposes only and the exclusive property of DNC Media, LLC. 